On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast, Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zamper today. We are going to be talking with Councillor Tammy Wang about the public meeting yesterday about the encampment situation, the one that was down at the Hamilton Convention Center. Big crowd, a lot of comments. What did we take out of this one? She will join us to talk about that. What about schools not giving grades anymore? This is being done now in BC. Could it? Could something like this move to Ontario? Could our students simply get a very broad comment about, hey, improving, excelling, or do we want letter grades? We'll get into that. We're going to talk about pet fostering. If you want to go to the HPCA and foster a pet for a while. Food prices. Uh, we all know about food prices. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, will talk to us about what might be done to bring those prices down. The Hamilton Bulldogs, actually, correction, the Brantford Bulldogs got their schedule, but also amazing what's going on with their arena. We'll talk to the GM of the team about that. And Laura Stemple, special Olympian gold and bronze medal at the World Games will join us. All that's coming up. Stay with us. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Last night, um, almost a thousand people were in the Hamilton Convention Center for a public consultation, public meeting about what to do with the encampment issue in the city. I want to bring in Ward 4 Councillor Tammy Wang, who was there and uh, was listening to what happened. Councillor, thank you for this today. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. So uh, let me ask you a two-part question to start with. I don't usually like two-part questions, but it seems to fit here. What were you expecting out of that meeting, and did you hear what you hoped or wanted to expect to hear out of that meeting? So the first part of it is that we wanted to hear public consultation from the public about whether we that they thought that this encampment protocol and sanction sites made sense in terms of what were the terms and conditions, what were some of the different ways that we would enforce, what were some of the different ways we would encourage, um, or how would it fit within the community. In terms of what I heard, I heard that it was a really respectful conversation. There was a lot of great questions. There was everything from how do we ensure safety for women? How do we ensure safety for the community? Um, what were some of the different ways that we would be ensuring everyone's safety, not only for persons living uh, homeless, but also what's going to happen for people that are in those surrounding areas. Did you feel that it moved us closer to a solution or, or to a, a resolution perhaps? Absolutely. It was one of those where there was a couple of different things that when council heard it, we were just like, hmm, I'm not sure if that's what the community is going to want. We really wanted to push back and say, Let's go out for public consultation because there were different aspects of the protocol where we felt like it was very restricting and there wasn't a real place because when you looked at what the protocol looked at, there wasn't any clear indication as to where people possibly could encamp or what would people think about if we did have sanctioned sites. So it just felt like there wasn't enough consultation in order to build a very robust both protocol and sanctioned sites uh, initiative. One of the things that struck me, and this is not a, um, this is not new. I mean, I think we've been talking about this for a while now is, is a question about when you hear a lot of the conversations and you hear a lot of the questions and the comments the city is looking at this as a housing issue, and clearly that is certainly a part of it because we're talking about people who don't have houses. But how much of this really, as we look more and more into it, how much of this is a housing issue 
and how much of this is a mental health and addictions issue? Because that was one of the things that was a, a, a an ongoing thing, uh, you know, yesterday. Are we looking at this? Is going housing first the right way to approach this, or are we going about it backwards? It's absolutely housing first because at the end of the day, even if you have opioid addiction or mental health, the fact is you are healthier if you are housed. So when you are in a housing situation where you actually have a roof over your head, you feel warm, you have those uh, basic needs taken care of, that's where you can really focus on getting better in terms of mental health and opioid addiction. It is absolutely a housing first initiative. We have to look at it from housing as a right. And at the end of the day too, tents are not housing. So that's what it is, point way, point stop everything. So it is all about housing first because that's how we can get people healthy and that's how we can get people into a space that is where they can be a contributing member of society and we can get them to where everyone is taken care of. There were, um, one of the comments that got a lot of applause yesterday, there were a number of them, but one of them was, and it's a, it's a very commonly raised issue is like, we've got some vacant schools, mm-hmm. let's get people in there. Now that's, it's complicated because you don't control the schools. That's the school mm-hmm. board. And I, I, you know, I know it comes up again and again, and it has to be repeated again and again. That's not city property, even though it may look mm-hmm. like it's public property. Right. But yeah. what what do you do? Because the school board has to this point said no. Is there anything the city can do? I mean, somebody even, not yesterday, but somebody has said before, well, what about expropriating? If, could you do that? Is that even in the in the city's toolbox that you could expropriate a school and say, we're going to use it because it's an emergency? Well, I think that all of those solutions are valid and all of those different ways, potentially if there's a will, there's a way. I know that our school board has been very cooperative and they have also issued a release. I, I didn't read the release, but they have said that, yes, school boards are school property. It's actually mandated by the province. Um, they have been very collaborative when it comes to trying to find solutions um, in terms of even the city expropriating. The fact is that's also not going to happen overnight. So if we did find a suitable property that we could expropriate, the sale process will take a little bit to retrofit the school would take a little bit to ensure that we have all of the services in place will take a little bit. So that's also not an overnight solution. And that is, you know, what you just mentioned, not an overnight solution. That really, uh, I think probably is the biggest problem, right? Because you're having all these people saying we need to have this done. It came up in the meeting again yesterday. We don't have, even if we're building housing, it's not available overnight. So there's, there's got to be an interim solution for what you do in the meantime. Absolutely. And this is kind of where our housing staff is looking at it from what can, what do we have? They have taken all uh, this time to be deliberate in terms of looking at all of our assets, including um, empty buildings. Maybe there were, there's some place somewhere, but also remember there has to be very specific criteria. It should be close to services and it should be close to bus lines, ensuring that people can get around while they're at those locations. So so it's not as if we're just finding any empty old building and we're going to make it into something. We want to ensure that if we are creating a solution, that we are creating it right and that we are not putting 
more harm and more trauma mm. to these people. And another thing you just bring up here, which is really, uh, it was another question from last night, but it's a really interesting one, is there was a question about, is this going to be spread? If, if we're having encampments, will they be spread all over the city? Mm-hmm. You just mentioned one of the challenges of that is that you don't have services all over the city. They are more in one area of town and the, and the bus line there are some people downtown who say, we've got enough downtown, move it elsewhere, but it doesn't necessarily really work to just sprinkle encampments everywhere. It, it becomes a real challenge to figure out how do we do this without creating almost a an encampmentville, um, mm-hmm. but we still keep it close to where the stuff needs to be. It's tricky. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you nailed it. That's where we have a lot of challenges is that sometimes we don't have bus service to different parts of our city. Sometimes we don't have access to some of the mental health services. We're also not at a place yet. Um, I know that we are actively working on it, but how do we deliver things in a mobile sense? Like how do we actually potentially get services out to a specific location? But then there are also challenges there. We got to ensure that there's adequate sidewalks, parking, able to, let's say it's called the dental bus, for example. Where do we park the dental bus? We need to make sure that we have some of that infrastructure available so servicing can actually get in there. I, I, we got to run, but are you, we all want, everybody wants a solution to this. And some of the solutions are very complex, but even as you're talking with these things, do we almost have to pick the simplest solution that might even have some warts at the beginning, but just to get something going? Uh, it's on the table. That's not, that hasn't been struck out at all. That Everything is, is on the table these days. That is Ward 4 Councillor Tammy Wang. I really appreciate you taking time today. Thank you for doing this. Thank you very much, Scott. That, uh, yeah, the meeting was last night. I'm told, uh, watching it last night, that you can go on the city's website and on the city's YouTube uh, page, by the way, pardon me, and you'll be able to find that if you want to see what that meeting was all about, see some of the questions that were raised and the comments that were were given. Um, it's it's two hours. Uh, a lot of the stuff you will have heard before, but uh, but if you're interested in this, uh, go take a look. Again, it's on the city's YouTube page. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In British Columbia, the uh, Board of Education there is getting some blowback. Some people, I'm sure, are in favor, but is getting some blowback for a plan that will now scrap letter grades on report cards up to grade nine in favor of assessments of you are either as a student, you're in a certain course, you are emerging, you are developing, you are proficient, or you are extending. So rather than getting an A, a B, a C, or D, you'll get either you're emerging, you're developing, you're proficient, or you're extending. A lot of people out there seemingly upset, parents especially, because they're saying, well, what the heck does this mean? What am I supposed to do with this with my child? What does this tell me? Is this, though, a smart way to do it because it's helping students' self-esteem and it's individualized and it's geared more towards not grading and being so competitive? Or is this just getting a little loopy? Let's bring in Paul Bennett. He is the director and lead researcher with the Schoolhouse, with Schoolhouse Consulting. He is, he is Canada's leading educational expert. He joins us now. Paul, thanks for this this morning. Good to be back, Scott. Well... Uh, at the end of your segment today, if I were to grade you and say you were either emerging, developing, proficient, or extending, would, would you know what I was saying about how you did? I'd be just as confused as those parents and students in British Columbia that are finally speaking out against the elimination of letter grades. 
fact, I was listening to your show and I was thinking, you've got a lot of smoke in the air in Hamilton. And um, my job today is to clear away the smoke screen that's been put up in front of this assessment plan that's being rolled out in September in every single school in British Columbia up to a grade nine. Um, what are they, what are they the doing it for, Paul? Letter grades. What, what is the reason that they're like, I don't even know why they're saying they're doing this. What's the ultimate goal of making this change? It hasn't happened overnight. When we go back, it started in 2010 with a curriculum reform where they changed um, the core curriculum and knowledge curriculum, and they turned it into one that's much more focused on competencies and proficiencies and skills. So the first phase was to change the curriculum. Second phase was in 2016, was to uh, change the assessment model to one that fits a competencies-based curriculum, which is um, harder to measure, harder to evaluate. And then in 2022, they brought out this report, which said that they were going to get rid of all letter grades up to grade nine, and it was going to be based on what is called learning progression model scales. But isn't, okay, so if I get a B in something, and most days I would have been happy to get a B, it was more likely lower than that. But if I get a B, is that not a competency grade? That, that tells me if I'm competent or not. They're trying to change the way we discuss grades, but it's not working, Scott. Let me give you a couple of examples. They've been, they faced resistance from uh, 2010 on at every phase of this. Uh, there was tremendous opposition to the changes, and there continues to be. 2021, they conducted a survey of 4,000 uh, uh, citizens, and 69% of every of those opposed eliminating letter grades. And there were 77% of teachers opposed eliminating letter grades. 68% of students opposed letter grades. But this has been going on. And instead, what we get is a report which ignores all that and suggests that they are following what is called the academic literature on assessment, mm. evaluation, and reporting. Would you be interested in knowing what the basis of this is? Yes. Well, it's based on a certain skewed reading of the evaluation material. Because if you look at the best evaluation material, student assessment of, um, um, at literature, it says it needs to be clear, intelligible, fair to students, and most important, based on concrete evidence of learning. All of that is from Dylan William, the world's leading authority on assessment. So what they've done is they've, they've uh, changed it to this is their view of what parents need and kids uh, require for learning. They, they think it's meaningful communication, ongoing communication, a focus on proficiency, not achievement, and self-assessment to build student self-esteem. By the way, that is exactly the reverse of what, um, uh, what uh, Dylan Williams says we should be doing. We should be looking at evaluation systems that soundly assess and provide evidence of actual learning. This is not what's happening. Sure. Oh, sorry. Uh, another thing. I'll give you an example. Sure. They have kept the um, percentage grades for grades 10, 11, and 12 because universities, colleges, and every institution wants to know really what the kids are 
their level of achievement is. But even there, do you know the A range is 86 to 100? Uh, they're actually eliminating uh, excellence, yeah. <laughs> standards of excellence as they're doing this. So the entire approach is what I've described as degradation of the school system. And of course, the results are uh, plain for anyone. Uh, British Columbia has had the biggest losses of student achievement of any of our provinces over the last decade. Paul, isn't there going to be a, uh, if, if you bring this in full time, isn't it going to be a shock when all of a sudden in grade 10, if you've always been told that you are, let's say, emerging or whatever other word they're going to use, if suddenly now you get a 60 when they first have to put your grade on a report card or you get a C, are you not going to be shocked? Because I thought I was doing pretty well. I don't think it's going to be as big a shock. I think it's just the parents are so distressed by this because it's been happening. You've got 12 years of bringing this in, in waves, first with um, pilot projects, then some schools. You know, some schools are already on it. So um, this is the final stage in the, there are teachers in elementary schools in British Columbia who only know this form Mm. of teaching, evaluation, and assessment. We got to run, but uh, the reason I brought this up today, because this is BC, we're clearly not in BC, but anytime it seems that there is some newfangled, and all maybe that's a wrong word, but idea in education, other people latch onto it. Is it realistic to think that other provinces may look at this and decide to do it? They may, but they won't, because Ontario, if you recall, in the common curriculum in the 1980s and 90s, had exactly that model. It was junked in 1995 by the Harris government, and they went to a system which continues to exist in Ontario. In other words, it's not new at all. It was so much a part of the common curriculum in Ontario before it was junked. We had a developed, developed, and developing model, exactly the Mm -hmm. same, learning progressions. It's an older um, progressive hangover that is somehow having a rebirth in British Columbia. Paul, you, uh, you were extending today, so I will, uh, I will give you that one. Uh, Paul Bennett. I'm exceeding. <laughs> well, I, oh, that's they not, eliminated that's that. not an Sorry. option. I don't have that option here. So no, they eliminated it. This is the best one problem. I could come up with, extending. So uh, Paul Bennett, the Director and Lead Researcher of Schoolhouse Consulting. Thank you for this. You're welcome. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Pets, dogs and cats and other, you know, pets, we... we our family, we, we've got three dogs at home. So I, um, this is one area I feel somewhat confident declaring myself an expert in. I got dogs coming out the yin yang. However, it looks like it appears that we need more people who are looking to get a pet, but get it by adoption. The Hamilton Burlington SPCA is looking for more fosters for its pets. I want to bring in Madison Bodden from the Hamilton Burlington SPCA. Madison, how are you today? I'm lovely. How are you? Uh, uh, th- you know what? You are the first person who's ever answered that question by saying lovely. I, that's great. I love that answer. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I understand that um, that we need to have some people step up and start to take some dogs and cats because you guys are being overrun. Is that what's going on? That's correct. So, I mean, we, we, we've always had an influx of um dogs and cats and small species, but we're, we're noticing um, that there's not really one in particular reason why we're seeing the current situation. Um, it's always so hard to navigate why our population grows. However, there has been a bit of an, an influx in our intake numbers over the last few months. 
Um, and of course, that's why we're looking uh, for, for foster families to help help with the cause. Um, we find that um, you know in the shelter setting, a lot of our animals start to see, um, start to show signs of stress and anxiety, and it's it's certainly not their best side when they're looking mm. to be adopted to a new family. So, um, you know, as we start to see our numbers get higher, the space that we can allocate to these animals becomes much smaller. And of course they start to lose that, that spark that they have. Um, so foster families really bring an extra added bonus to both the animals uh, quality of life and space capacity here at the shelter. So we can help more and more animals every year. Is it, now you say that there's not one, reason exactly but is it is it commonplace in summertime for the numbers to go up or is this just it happens occasionally and doesn't there's no rhyme or reason that's a really good question so i wouldn't necessarily say summertime would be a season we see a huge influx per se but we have been noticing um due to the growing cost of the economy and inflation um are really huge key players in the trends we're seeing um, you know, everything from private vet clinics to food is becoming that much more expensive for pet owners to afford, um, as I'm sure you understand as a pet owner yourself. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we're really working across programs such as our pet food pantry program, our wellness clinics to help address these challenges in the community, um, as, of course, we have seen them become barriers um, for people to be able to keep their pets in the home. Um, and our goal as an organization is to just keep people and pets together. So, um, you know, trying to offer services that help support our current pet owner population is is something that we're working actively towards. One of the things that we had heard um, recently, and I don't know if this could be an extension of that, was a lot of people got COVID pets. A lot of people, when they were home, decided they wanted some companionship and they were able to be around. And then when life got back to normal, it was uh, a lot of people discovered, you know what, I'm not really a normal life pet owner. And there were a lot of people looking to get rid of their pets, unfortunately. Is that still part of the lingering carryover here? That's also a great question. So, of course, it is something that we saw through COVID. Um, it was something that our shelter had to kind of adjust to as our doors were technically closed. Um, but honestly, in, in instances like that, when, when people feel that they might not be the best fit for adopting a dog due to their work schedule or their you know, availability changes so frequently, that's when we bring up the idea of fostering. Um, you know, you can foster an animal for as long as you're able to provide. Um, a lot of research shows that even a day on foster for a lot of our shelter pets can bring the world of difference in both their behavioral and medical status, especially if they're recovering from some kind of medical um, treatment um, or surgery. So um, sometimes fostering is kind of the best of both worlds because you don't have to commit to adopting an animal if you know your, your schedule in the future is going to be changing a little bit. Um, but you can still have that joy of companionship in your home, feel like you're giving back to your community. Um, and then, of course, that animal goes off and, and gets adopted um, out to another family. So you're, you're really doing such a big part to that animal's life. So, um, and it could be kind of the best of, best of both if you find you're a busy, a busy human. So it's basically rent a pet for a while. Give it a try. Test drive a pet. That's a good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> and but how many people though when they when they do this? Okay, there's a bunch of things here. How many people when they do this though end up keeping it because they decide they really enjoy having that animal around? That's a that's a great enlightenment. Yes, and a lot of people do. We call it a foster fail, although it is certainly not a fail to the animal. Um, but I mean, that's totally always a possibility. It's 
it's a great opportunity to see how an animal fits into your lifestyle, how a particular animal fits within your life. Um, and a, a lot of times the first time pet owners are unsure about what level of care that animal would require or what it's like to have an animal at all. Um, so fostering could be an awesome opportunity to see if you're even open to adoption. And sometimes along the way, you'll find your best friends and you didn't even mean to find them. So, um, it's never a bad thing when that happens, but it, it does happen fairly frequently. Um, but it's, Never something we're sad about. <laughs> what are the requirements? There have to be some rules about who can do this. Who who could foster a pet? Of course. So, of course, you have to bring a genuine love and passion for the animals, of course. Um, we do offer fostering for all of the species we care for. So, cats, kittens, dogs, puppies, um, and in some cases, small species. So, that would be, um, you know, rabbits, guinea pigs, rats. We do get them in um, fairly frequently as well. So, we're looking for care for those guys. Of course, sufficient time and availability to dedicate to their care. Um, a lot of times I get questions around, you know, oh, I work a full-time job. Is that something I can still help with? And it certainly is. Um, there really is a pet in the shelter for everyone's lifestyle. Um, some of our more uh, adult dogs could withstand, you know, a, a workday schedule and they can just be at home and decompressing. Um, certainly a better environment for him or her than it, it would be at the shelter the whole day. Um, so just making sure that you have, you know, have that conversation. If you're even the slightest bit curious, I encourage people to reach out and, and chat with me and my team about what their lifestyle is like. And we can always fit an animal that uh, would benefit from your particular lifestyle. Um, so, you know, of course, having the ability to um, potentially say goodbye to your foster pet, um, it, it's it's a bittersweet moment. Well, I, and I was going to say that, like, is there an, and we got to run, but is there an expectation? So if I, if I were to foster a pet and then a few days later, bring it back, is that, am I going to get stink eye from the people at the SPCA? Cause it's sort of a failure. I didn't decide to keep this pet in the end. Is there an expectation that, yeah, you're fostering, but we really think you're going to keep it forever. Absolutely no expectation at all. So I always preface during the pickup appointment that if you have any, if, small inclination that you might want to adopt, let me know. But the whole point here is for you to offer the animal a chance to decompress, learn some new social skills, socialize them, have fun, um, and, and enjoy each other's company for a little while. There's absolutely no expectation to adopt, um, as, of course, the full purpose is for you to just give them that temporary home for a little while. Um, so it actually is quite the opposite, where we almost never expect people to adopt. But when it does, it's always a happy little bittersweet moment for us. Madison, if somebody's interested, and we do have to get going here, if someone's interested, do they have to drop in or can they go on your website or how does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, they're more than welcome to pop in and ask questions if they'd like, but our application is actually online through our website at um, hbspca.com. They can fill out their application and then our volunteer services will be in touch via phone call for a screening call to answer any questions they might have and get that process all started. So the website's probably the best place to go. That is Madison Bodden from the Hamilton Burlington SPCA. Madison, thanks for doing this. You were lovely today. Well oh, done. thank you very there much. You I hope you're, you have a great day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you been out shopping for food lately? I mean, not all of us do our food shopping for our home, but you're probably aware. It's a little pricey. It's, and it's a lot pricey. Well, a new uh, report came out this week that says we need more competition 
to bring prices down and give shoppers more choice. This was from the Competition Bureau that uh, that came out with this. Sylvana Charlebois is known as the food professor. He's a professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. He joins us now. Sir, thank you for this today. My pleasure. Well, uh, I heard this and I, I heard, okay, we need more competition and this will bring prices down. And that, in theory and in most practice, always seems to work. More competition means lower prices. And then... I started making a note to myself of the grocery stores that are in Hamilton and there's Metro's and Fortino's and Longo's and Food Basics and Goodness Me and Avondale and Sobeys and No Frills and Healthy Planet and the Farmer's Market and Walmart and Costco. Is that not enough competition to bring prices down? Well, sounds like a healthy market to me. Um, Oligopolies aren't really a problem as long as they don't really... uh, uh, over-exercise their power. And, and that's kind of what's going on right now in the food industry if you look at the supply chain. And, and these are things that consumers don't necessarily see. But you do see some players, and I won't name them, and of course, uh, both of them are are in Hamilton. They they basically bully suppliers. They, they, they're doing whatever they want because they have access to the market. And, and some of the behavior, I would say, is in, is unethical. And uh, and that's why I think that uh, that the report was uh, was a good thing. Uh, they actually recommended the implementation of the code of conduct, even though uh, the code of conduct, the grocery code of conduct, has nothing to do with the with the competition bureau. It has everything to do with well competition. And uh, so if you do, if you give a safe place for companies to settle disputes, uh, you'll you'll support manufacturing and therefore you'll support independent grocers giving more choice more variety to consumers and when you do that of course you increase competition mm-hmm. yeah and, and I, I i mean i love the idea and we all do because we want the prices to go down and i think a lot of us are looking at this going something is going on something is happening that's making food prices go up and and you and i have talked on this show and others in the past about, you know, the, the supply chain issues for a while and COVID, is that still what's at play here though, or is it something else at play? Well, it's a variety of different factors. Uh, we've, we've seen a sequence of factors, which is really unusual, like major macroeconomic factors like COVID, Ukraine, uh, supply chains. Those are the main three. And of course, climate change is also a factor every single day. Right now, there's a drought hitting at the, the American Midwest. So I can tell you it's going to impact beef prices at some point this summer, and it's going to impact the grain market. Uh, over the weekend, and you you saw uh, some sort of mutiny in Russia, and you saw wheat uh, sh- uh, go up by 25% in just a few days and went back down again. So markets are very nervous, and that nervousness tends to cost a lot of money. And uh, But that said, Canada still has one of the lowest food inflation rates in the world. So we're doing okay despite what's happening at the grocery store. If you look at... Uh, Europe, if you look at Asia and other places, we're doing really okay. But the problem, of course, is is obviously competition and variety. And we need to we need to make Canada a more attractive market to invest in, attract more discount grocers into the market. And I would say th- I would say there are two, Little and Aldi, both of them are in the U.S., but they're still hesitant to come to Canada. So. 
the word independent, to say we need more independent grocers to come here, when I think of independent, non-big chain stores, whether it's groceries or anything else, if I have an independent clothing store and I'm trying to compete with one of the big department stores, I have a hard time because I have smaller scale, therefore I can't bring the prices down. Would an independent grocery store actual, actually bring prices down or would they have to have higher prices? Uh, it would it would basically uh, bring because some some people think that smaller is more expensive. Not necessarily. It depends of the strategy. It depends okay. on the model. Some independent grocers are actually quite competitive. But the other thing that's going on, Scott, that uh, that was actually underscored by the report is that uh, municipalities and provinces also need to get involved in this game. Uh, right now, we're seeing grocers. Opening up stores in Hamilton or Dundas or elsewhere, and they have specific terms. They are they're asking landlords not to open up a grocery store uh, at a shopping center or any food places at a shopping center. They actually buy other lots in the same city to prevent competitors to come in to the market and, and build a grocery store across the street, for example. So those are the things that have been going on for years. And now with this report, uh, it's out in the open. Yeah. And, and that's a really, that, I mean, we got to run. That's a really interesting idea though, is the, the non sort of competitive, non-competition rules in a certain plaza or something. If you were to put yep. two next to each other, uh, we see it with gas. If, if you have a, a gas station near a Costco where Costco lowers their prices, all the gas stations nearby drop their prices while, ca- while Costco is open that day. So maybe that, maybe that's, yeah, that's, that's a great one idea. product, Scott. Don't forget. Right. A, an average grocery store carries 20,000 products. There, there's loss leading and every store will actually compete with a few products to get you in there. That's a really interesting, that, that's the, that's a really interesting idea. I hadn't even thought about that one is just putting new stores or putting stores next to each other or close to each other. That's uh, see, that's why we have you on. Well, that's, why you brilliant that's, ideas. Right, exactly. that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, Sylvain Charlevoix, the food professor. See, that's why he's the food professor. He comes up with cool ideas. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Take care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we're not going to have all that many good old hockey games in Hamilton for the next few years. As you know, there are teams that will still be here, but the Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, for the time anyway, are no longer the Hamilton Bulldogs, as you well know. They are now the Brantford Bulldogs playing out of Brantford, hence the name. Uh, Their schedule came out the other day and... um, well, we're now looking at it saying, well, I guess we don't have that to to watch this year. Matt Turek is the general manager of the Bulldogs, joins us now. Matt, how are you? Great, Scott. Good morning. How are you? I am well. I, I, should I, are you still the general manager of the Bulldogs or now that Michael Landlauer, the owner of the team, is buying the Senators? Are you now the general manager in waiting for the Ottawa Senators? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy where, where, where I am with the Bulldogs. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's great that uh, Mike got the... Uh, got the, the team in, in Ottawa, but uh, we're, I think all we ever talk about is, is the Bulldogs. You, uh, you guys are going to open at home. You're going to get your first game in Brantford on October the 7th this year. The schedule just came out. You've been over to the new arena. Well, not, it's not a new arena, the newly being renovated Ottawa or um, Brantford. Now we got all my cities mixed up. Brantford Civic Center. How's that looking? Really promising. Um, we have a, a great team. That we um, um, have hooked up with is uh, Vacano Construction, 
And these guys are, I mean, it, it seems like every three days there's, there's a major change. Um, so a new addition for the uh, dressing room. Um, there's a, there's a new, um, uh, like a, a lounge bar restaurant, um, that's being renoed and, uh, gym score clock glass boards. There, there's a lot going on and, and it seems like these guys are meeting every deadline. Are you surprised how quickly it's going? Like, yes, definitely. Because, uh, construction usually is delayed and, and these guys seem to be right on time. What is the, um, you, you've been in Brantford a lot, uh, lately because of this, what is the sense that you're getting from that community? I mean, at the very beginning when this thing was being discussed, certainly there was a lot of excitement because, you know, they got, they're potentially getting a new team and everything else. It, has that maintained though, now that we're into the summer months or, or is it cooled off a bit? No, but like whenever I'm up there, I, I'd say like the only word I could think of, it, it's like a buzz when, when you're there or like, um. It just seems like everybody uh, within the community has shown uh, amazing support for the team. The The schedule that you're going to have there, how many people are you, because you have season tickets, I mean, you've done, this, the team has done very well on season tickets for, for, for Branford right now, but do you have any idea how many of those are coming from Hamilton? Are you expecting still people who were Hamilton Bulldog fans to keep up and be traveling down the road to Branford to be Branford Bulldog fans? Oh, definitely. We, we, we have had uh, amazing fans in Hamilton. Um, and I, there's a lot of them that'll be coming to Brantford. So, um, you know, it's, uh, that was the the one thing when Michael decided to, uh, to choose Brantford as, as the team uh, or the, the location, it, it was a seamless transition for, you know, our, our fans and our players. Uh, that was pretty close, 20, 25 minutes. Um, so I think we've seen that in, in the, uh, with the season tickets as well. Tonight is the NHL draft. Um, you don't have a whole lot to do with that right now, except for the fact that there are a few guys on your team whose names have been mentioned as probably hearing their name called one in particular, Nick Lardis for a while there was, his name was being bandied around as maybe late in the first round. How, how closely do you watch this when you've got guys that you know, and you've worked with and you've drafted and how closely are you keeping up to see where they go in this thing? Well, I'm, I'm keeping up so well that I drove down yesterday to Nashville. Is that where you are right now? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'll be there tonight for, for the draft, uh, you know, representing the Bulldogs and, you know, it, it'd be wonderful if, uh, if Nick's name was called tonight, I think he, uh, deserves it. But, you know, I talked to him yesterday. He's pretty grounded that, he, you know, it, nothing will be a disappointment for him, whether he gets called uh, tonight or tomorrow. So are you, uh, okay, so let me go back to my first question. we got to let you go. Are you sitting at the Senator's table tonight, honestly? No, not at all. I'm sitting <laughs> with, the, with the Bulldog crew. we got the, the coaches down here as well. All right. I, I thought maybe you were pulling one over on us here, and the entire Bulldogs crew was now joining the Senators all like en masse. Draft day was the big announcement that this was going to happen. No, no, no. We're all Bulldogs and, and, and looking forward to, uh, to another good year and, and uh, a, a great start in uh, Brantford. That is Matt Turek. He is the general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Thanks for doing this, Matt. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Laura Strumble just got back from Germany where she was competing in the Special Olympics World Games from Dundas. 
and came home with a gold and a bronze medal in doubles and singles bocce. And she joins us now. Laura, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Congratulations. That is amazing that you did that. Thank you. Where now when I, I talked to you a few days ago about this and at that time you hadn't decided what you were going to do with the medals yet. Have you found a place to put them? Not yet. Still working on it. I've been staring off my medals to my neighbors. That's good. That's good. And what do they say when they see them? They were ecstatic. They loved it. They are, I got to say, they are unbelievably cool medals. They are huge and they are, they're amazing. They're, and you had told me, is this true? I'm going to ask you again, because I find it hard to believe. You had never won a gold medal before? Never. So you go to the biggest competition in the world, and that's when you win your first ever gold medal. Yep. So for people who didn't know about this, so you were playing bocce both in doubles and in singles. Who did you have to beat to win the gold medal in the doubles? What were the teams? Uh, it would be, I beat Bahrain 7-6. to six. I beat Korea 8-3. to three, And I lost to Guyana 10-0. to zero. Uh, for, I went to the final, Division 1, and the gold, and I got 9-7 against Guyana. So they probably thought after beating you 10 nothing that you were going to be easy to beat in the finals, and then you just crushed them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's great. So how, when you, when you realize that you had won, what do you do? How do you celebrate when you win a gold medal? I hug my family. That's a good way. That's, oh, my teammate. I hug my teammate. That's a good way too. That's a good way too. And then you follow that up a few days or a little bit later because you want a bronze medal in the singles. So you got that one as well. Yeah. Tell people about, so the Special Olympics World Games, tell people about what the World Games are because it's a, it's a big, big thing. Yeah, it's really a big deal. Uh, there are about 7,000 athletes, 190 countries. Uh, there are 26 sports. Uh, there's going to be 3,000 coaches and 20,000 volunteers. Wow. It's pretty huge. So was it, this was in Berlin. And yeah. so when you were traveling around the city, was there, like, could you tell everywhere in the city that the Special Olympics World Games were on? Was there something all over the place? Yeah, uh, the city was awesome. It was like sure everywhere and I saw a bit so it was pretty cool I love the city um they had pretty cool things around they had pictures everywhere I went uh they had signs in the bus stop wherever I go it's pretty cool that is that is very very cool now I understand the other thing is this is amazing so you just went to the Special Olympics World Games won a gold medal and a bronze medal. So you're obviously great at bocce, but yeah. you are now going to be competing in the provincials that are coming up, but in a totally different sport. Yeah. So I'll be doing rhythmic gymnastics for provincials in Kitchener Waterloo as next year. How many sports do you play? Because you, you're, you do so well at all these. Four. How many? Four. Okay. So bocce and rhythmic gymnastics. Bocce, rhythmic gymnastics, soccer, and bocce, and bowling. And bowling. Oh, right. Okay. And so 
Are you hoping that you would go back to the world games again? Because you're still young. You're 21. Are you still hoping to go back again? Yeah, I was kind of thinking of that. I would love to do that. Um, but I was kind of thinking for the sport, uh, instead of foxy, I'm kind of thinking of doing gymnastics, maybe. Well, and next time, am I right? I think next time it's in Australia, right? That would be amazing. Yeah. That'd be really cool. That would be really cool. Well, you know what? I would think that uh, anyone who's got a gold medal from there probably should be invited back no matter what. So you should be able to do that. But um, that is uh, that is Laura Stremble. She is a gold and bronze medalist from the Special Olympics from Dundas in Bocce. Laura, congratulations. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. That is, uh, that is very good. That is very cool that, uh, that she was able to do that. And uh, really, uh, really lovely girl that... Um, that we can be proud of around here for what she did. That was amazing. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.